0: Hello, and welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Vanessa Zoltan, a non-denominational chaplain who co-hosts Harry Potter and the Sacred Text and its spinoff show, Women of Harry Potter. She also has a new podcast, Hot and Bothered. Vanessa, welcome and congratulations on your many, many shows.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I'm the only one who does any work on any of them, so I deserve all of the congratulations. It's just me.
0: I cannot relate. Yeah. Um, That is so exciting.
1: Um, Thanks. I was kidding. There are just, like, teams and teams of people. I did. I did
0: feel that that came through. I did not think you were (laughs) trying to do the, like, uh, little red hen thing um, for the group project. But thank you for being willing to add a fourth one to your roster.
1: (laughs) Yes. I um, hope to be so charming and helpful to everyone that I take over from you, Daniel. I am the new dear Prudence.
0: You can be charming or helpful, but rarely both. <laughs> I, you believe have to pick me, one. it's rarely either. And I'll do the other one. So normally I let the guest read the first letter. But today I am so eager to read this one myself that I'm going to uh, take it. Do it. It's a lot.
1: <laughs> oh, man. When I read it, I wrote back to you asking if I can swear. Yes. That was my immediate response.
0: Which is always, always, I think, yes. I don't know that I've ever listened to a podcast where people weren't allowed, although maybe I just didn't know. But, yes, this was designed for uh, a little bit of um, pressure-relieving cursing. And um, I think this is a great example of someone who perhaps thinks they are being charming and helpful and they are, in fact, being neither. (laughs) That's just a little preview of what my read is on this and here we go the subject is plain jane's mom dear prudence my daughter is kind intelligent and loving she recently graduated from medical school and announced her engagement to another doctor i should be thrilled but i can't shake the feeling she's being used why her fiance is drop-dead gorgeous he could be john ham's brother My daughter, who I love more than anyone else in the world, is a lovely girl and a catch, but she's very average-looking. I feel deeply uneasy about what Bill's hidden motives might be. I want to believe in true love and beauty not being skin-deep, but I've been around too long and I'm not dumb. We met Bill recently, and he seems like a nice enough guy, but I can't shake this bad feeling. How do I talk to my daughter about this without hurting her feelings? So I'll start with, I think, the obvious, which is you (laughs) cannot talk to your daughter about this without hurting her feelings. And I would, in fact, strongly advise you not to talk to your daughter about this.
1: Yeah, my answer is don't. First of all, who cares what you think about this topic? She did not ask for your opinion. And... Even—I I really tried. I really tried to assume the best of intentions. Mm-hmm. So let's say this mom is motivated by love and concern for her daughter and not by projecting her own self-loathing or some thing. Even then, there's just, like, no strategy here. Like, what could you possibly say that wouldn't end with your daughter— Like breaking up with him and believing that she doesn't deserve somebody who looks a certain way. That's the best case scenario.
0: I I think especially that bit about like what do you think he could be using her for? Like unless you have neglected to mention that your daughter is an heiress, um, which I think you probably would have dropped in there if if that were a factor. And, And like she's paying off all of his medical school bills. Like what do you think he's going to use her for? Or do you just kind of want an excuse to tell your daughter who it sounds like is very smart and that might potentially activate something for you that you don't think she's very pretty?
1: Oh, oh, I have. I, I mean, I have theories as to what she thinks.
0: But yeah, I think a great way to kind of check your own motives here is like, so what do I think he's using her for? And if the answer is I can't really think of anything. I'm just worried he thinks she's as average looking as I do. Then I think that that might be a sign that this has everything to do with you and nothing to do with Bill. Um, And I would also encourage you to perhaps um, remind yourself that you might not be the best um, judge of your own daughter's fuckability.
1: (laughs) Well, our president has taught us all that we can judge our daughter's fuckability. Jesus. But uh, sorry. <laughs> but I also so I'm again like trying to assume good intentions here. She just met Bill for the first time. Maybe she just like needs to ask her daughter a question like, what do you love about Bill? Like maybe she doesn't feel super involved in this engagement. I and, have to like, say I are... think
0: I know why. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I I, I think it is often good to try to read Best Intentions, but I also think I I do want to engage with what I feel like is the kind of obvious here in this letter, which is that clearly um, my guess is this is not the first time in your life you have indirectly communicated to your daughter that you think she's not especially nice looking. Um, And I can certainly imagine a number of reasons why your daughter might keep you at arm's length when it comes to her personal life.
1: Uh, yeah. Is this too much reading into it? Don't you think that she's saying, like, maybe he's gay and that's what he's using her for? Don't you feel like that's a subtext? Because literally what else could this, like, ignorant woman think that this, like, guy that sounds like he has a fine career would be using her, like, daughter that sounds like she's the same career for? I, I, Again, I, unless she's an heiress.
0: I didn't go f- to that as my, like, number one read. Oh, it didn't okay. feel like the most obvious. But it's I, I certainly I feel like the subtext here is I don't understand why he's attracted to her. Um, and that could certainly be a part of it. But I just, you know, I don't want to go too far down the roads totally. of like encouraging her to get more specific in her um, paranoid fantasies. Because I, I just don't think that they're based in anything other than... Um, her own issues. So I I would really just say on this one, um, do not say anything to your daughter, but say a lot of things to a therapist.
1: (laughs) I mean, say things to your daughter like, oh, you guys are such a cute couple. I'm so happy for you. Can't wait to dance at your wedding.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to encourage the letter writer right now to say a lot of things that she doesn't mean in order to try to cover up for something. So I would stick to certainly say, like, I'm glad to meet Bill. I'd love to get to know him better. Um, if you think you are capable of having a conversation where you ask truly neutral, non-loaded questions about like, tell me a little bit more about how you two met or what you like about each other. But I also suspect that right now the letter writer is so convinced of her particular um, mode of relating to her daughter that I worry she would ask them in a loaded way. So I would say your first order of business really, really needs to be find a therapist with the stated goal of like, I, I kind of have a history of putting down my daughter's appearance and I want to think a little bit more about where that might be coming from what that says about my feelings about my own appearance what that says about my ideas around her value as a romantic partner um I, I'm not proud of myself like i just I just like John Hamm's a nice looking guy but i like
1: <laughs> Not I, I thought I would pick the
0: either. I thought the Thirty Rock bubble episode was taking it a little far, and I just want to wonder too, like maybe you have the bar a little bit lower for men, and so it's like, oh, he's a doctor and kind of nice looking, he's indescribably beautiful and a catch beyond all possible catches, but a woman doctor, you know, average looking, plain Jane, who could possibly see anything in her, who could possibly be attracted to her, like to me, I just um, I I don't. I don't buy it. I don't buy your version of events. And I think that this is coming. You know, this call is coming from inside the house.
1: (laughs) I just want to, again, like echo the therapy thing because of this line. I want to believe in true love and beauty, not being skin deep, but I've been around too long and I'm not dumb like that. Yeah, that is that is you about you. Mm -hmm. That is not about your daughter.
0: Yeah, that idea of like. You know, I've been around a long enough time and I'm smart enough to know that if outsiders don't immediately assess a couple as being like the exact same numerical value on a one to 10 scale of hotness, that it's automatically suspicious, fraudulent, someone's trying to game the system, someone's using the other person. Like, you don't say anything about like they barely know each other or he's asking for a lot of money or i don't like the way that he treats her it's literally just he's handsome and i think my daughter is just a 5 and that to me says this is based in your own insecurities and not in reality
1: this is the kind of thing that like my fictional in my head great grandmother might have said
0: i'm glad that your great grandmother is fictional then
1: right i mean that just seems like such an outdated outmoded way of thinking about partnership I, I do think that there's any sort of objective standard that be, can be gauged from the outside as to what makes for an equal couple. Just seems like generationally outdated.
0: Yeah, and just this idea of like, I just feel so much sympathy for her daughter. There's just this sense of like, she's kind, intelligent, loving, has a great fiance. You know, is you know just got through medical school, or which I is amazing. Know. It's a it's a hell of an accomplishment, and then to have it all just like pinned to. But, you know, it looks wise, just average. What I'm getting from this is there's kind of nothing that your daughter can do that's good enough. And I just I feel like you probably send her a lot of articles about improving your posture or like makeup (laughs) tips. Weight loss. And I just hate that for her. Um, Yeah. Wellness. mm. She gets a
1: lot of wellness articles.
0: I hope not. I hope that that's not the case. Yeah. This is worth doing a lot of introspection and soul searching over. You should do it with a therapist, not with your daughter. Um, You know, if you want to get to know Bill better, ask more than you, you know, ask more questions than you talk. Um, Be open to a lot of possibilities. And when that voice inside your head says your daughter's probably being taken advantage of because a good-looking doctor could never want to be with her, um, just tell that voice to shut up for a minute and be open to the possibility that you are not right here. Yeah. I think this is one of those situations where it's like, I don't know, I got to trust my gut. My gut's really saying something here. And I think you have reason to believe your gut is wrong.
1: So that what that is my question. What if her gut is telling her something about this is off and the only thing that her lizard brain is telling her is it's about looks, right? Because I feel like sometimes I'll be like, my gut is telling me something here. No, and I can talk myself out of it. And usually, like, my gut is an idiot, so my gut is just scared all the time. But I do wonder, right, like, if she thinks— something about this is off, and the only thing that I can judge it by is this external factor. Yeah. But it, I mean, to your point, that should be figured out in therapy, not by talking to your daughter yeah. about the fact that she's a plain Jane.
0: I, I would just say here, I, I I think it's really clear where that like quote-unquote gut instinct is coming from, and that is some version of my daughter's not good-looking enough to be happy, um, and that tells me everything about the underlying assumptions here. I, I I do not believe that there is. I think the reason she probably doesn't know her daughter's fiance very well is she has probably either consciously or unconsciously commuted, communicated some version of this um, assumption to her daughter a lot. And as a result, her daughter keeps her at a little bit of an arm's length. And that's exactly why she's not um, super, super close with her daughter's fiance. Um, and I think it will only improve your relationship with your daughter if you go to therapy and find ways to address um, this part of yourself that is neither loving nor kind um, nor open-minded. And I wish you luck with that because I don't want you to continue hurting your daughter um, or pushing her away or pushing you know, her fiancé away because there's a part of you that just says... There's only a certain type of attractiveness that deserves this sort of happiness. And I know my daughter doesn't have it and couldn't possibly. That is, um, it's not a good road to go down.
1: It's also just not a great way to walk through the world, right? Like, Mm -hmm. imagine walking through the world, judging every couple based, like, just judging people based entirely on appearance. I don't know. And and not
0: just judging them based on appearance, but assuming that, like, I have the universal standard of beauty, right. and no one could possibly reasonably disagree with me. Um, and it's John Hamm. And it's John Hamm and my daughter. Like those are the two <laughs> poles of the hotness scale. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's just there's lots to unpack here, and I hope that you get to, again, with a therapist, um, and and maybe a therapist who who is able to help. Um, specifically with body image issues, uh, uh, appearance uh, issues, you know, giving certain weight to certain types of appearances and not to others. um, That would be a good uh, specialty to look out for.
1: Some ideas about social constructs
0: around attraction. And just the idea that you might, again, not be the best judge of how hot your daughter is to somebody who wants to presumably sleep with and or marry her. Um,
1: And like maybe have children that look like her, right? Like, I mean, who knows? Yeah,
0: I think the hidden motives you should be worried about are not Bill's but yours. And that's kind of the last word I've got on that one.
1: Yep, well said.
0: We do have a lot more complicated moms kind of coming down the pike, though, which is it's complex mom day here at the Dear Prudence offices, I think. Would you uh, introduce us to the next one?
1: Happily. So the subject is my mom voted for someone who fired me. Dear Prudence, last year my mom voted for a local right-wing politician who ended up winning. She told everyone that the politician was going to fix their problems. On the campaign trail, he talked extensively about shutting down certain programs to, quote, save taxpayer money without laying anyone off. Surprise, I work for a government agency that helps poor families access health care, and we all got laid off. I don't hold my mother solely responsible for this. He won by a majority. But what annoys me is my mom now pretends she never voted for him or deflects with, oh, who remembers an election so long ago? And no one would knew it would happen to your agency. He explicitly said so. I am so annoyed she is denying her role while my colleagues and I lost our jobs and thousands of families now don't have essential services. We've basically stopped talking, and I don't know how to get over this. I just want her to realize that she made a bad decision and an apology would be nice. Is there anything I can do? We've never had such a big fight before, and I do miss chatting with her, especially while I'm trying to find a new job. Mm. Yeah, so my first it, my first thought was just like there's no feeling worse to me than feeling like someone's trying to gaslight you. And so just like that initial feeling of knowing that your mom voted for this person, supported this person and her now deflecting and saying, "No, oh, who can remember?" Like that is a minor frustration in this, but I do I like I hate being treated like the other person thinks I'm stupid. And so I can imagine that that is one part of it. So I just want to validate that that is an incredibly frustrating experience in and of itself, even if the stakes weren't so high and you hadn't lost your job and feel as though the essential services that you're offering are no longer available to people who need them.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there's a path to be woven kind of in the middle between trying to get your mom to admit to something she may not want to acknowledge versus not allowing her to dictate the terms of the conversation. So that might mean I can't control whether or not my mom offers me an apology or um, is willing to acknowledge her role in this change, but I, I can absolutely challenge her version of events. Um, And I can absolutely let her know what conversations I'm not available for. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I would say, right, like there's always the more confrontational option, which is I understand that you might not be able to admit this, but our relationship is going to be negatively impacted until Mm -hmm. you do because I feel like you aren't being honest with me and – I feel like on some level you know you messed up and won't apologize. And I mm-hmm. I feel like it's a fair instinct to want an apology because an apology is an attempt at a promise that you won't make the same mistake again, right? Right, And so I understand that, but I also understand that that could be really confrontational and go really poorly.
0: Right. No, and yeah, I, I think I'm with you too. I think it is absolutely appropriate to ask for one um, and to say an apology would mean a lot to me. And then beyond that, to not... Um, try to go on the hunt for one, like to say if, if if you don't, you know, I won't try to hound one out of you, but I might need to then subsequently like take a step back, especially while I'm looking for a new job. But I do agree. And I think to say like, I'm not saying that you need to make yourself personally responsible for my being laid off. I understand that, you know, he won by a majority and it was not your deciding vote. You are not the person who like pushed the button that laid me off. Um, So kind of making it clear, like, Mom, I'm not asking you to, like, throw yourself on your sword and say it is solely your fault um, that this happened. But, um, you know, you can't say uh, that you didn't vote for him. Um, We both know that he promised to do this to my agency, and it would mean a lot to me if you could just acknowledge that you did what you did, um, and what happened negatively affected me and a lot of other families. That's all. And if she can't, then I think that would be a good point to say like, okay, I'm going to, you know, we don't have to talk about this right now, but um, this is painful for me and I need to take a little space, especially while I'm in the position of job hunting.
1: Yeah, I so space, I think, is good. And then, I don't know, as someone like, I am 37 years old, but I still talk to my mom almost every day. So okay. this is coming from a position where if I was... Like, I wouldn't want space from my mom, even if she really hurt my feelings, which maybe, again, speaks to my, like, ability to compartmentalize. But I was just thinking of, like, the Anne Lamont quote, which I will butcher and, like, paraphrase, but, like, not forgiving someone is, like, taking poison and expecting them to die. And I I think that sometimes forgiveness, and this is, like, a theological point of view, you know, I I was trained as a chaplain. I'm an atheist, but. Um, showing my cards with my training, that forgiveness isn't about forgetting. It's about like not wishing harm on the other person. And it's not the same as full reconciliation. It wouldn't be saying to your mom, I fully trust you again. Um, But I think that there's a way to forgive her enough to like be on the phone with her when you want emotional support and like still within limits, like change your expectations and be like, you are somebody who's willing to you know, lie to me a little bit in order to protect your sense of shame or dignity or whatever. But I think it's okay to still want to chat just in a shallower way if that is going to help you through a job search. Job searches are miserable.
0: Yeah. And I do think, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm familiar with the quote and I know that has a number of attributions going back at least to Emmett Fox in 1938. But um I I do think that sometimes that can be used to discourage people from appropriate levels of anger or boundary setting. Oh,
1: totally. So I
0: I also just want to say I think sometimes even if you and a parent are very close, if you go through a relationship your entire life with someone and there comes a period where you say, I need a little time and space from talking to you every day, that's not necessarily – A bad thing or a sign that you're about to become estranged, sometimes it is important to take space if those conversations that you would otherwise have with her would come at the expense of acknowledging truth and and a boundary that was crossed that was not okay. So I I do think that um, finding a way to acknowledge your healthy and appropriate anger as a result of both her actions that led to the loss of your job and also the ways in which she has tried to minimize or downplay it subsequently would be an okay thing. It would be a good thing, I think. Um, And one of the problems of you know, dealing with your anger is like how do you acknowledge it without letting it sort of take over or or feed itself into becoming ever and ever bigger or confusing the desire for good boundaries with a desire for punishment. And absolutely I think there are points at which like grudges can outlive their usefulness. Um, does that make sense? I, I don't I don't wanna make it sound like I, I totally disagree because I don't. I just wanna put that perspective in there too.
1: Oh absolutely. I think I would say, like, stop trying to gaslight me. Like, we can talk about X, but we can't talk about Y anymore because it's driving me crazy. Right. Just
0: like we both know you voted for him. We both know this was a public campaign promise. If you try to claim again that you didn't, I'm going to openly disagree with you because I remember last year.
1: Right. Exactly. But, like, but how was your last Scrabble game or, you know, whatever. I'd like to talk about something else now. Exactly. Exactly. I also think like this is something that a lot of families are fighting about these days because of politics being in the state that they are in. And it's just so unfortunate that in this case it was like so personally borne out on – I think that a lot of people are having these problems of just like – My, you know, mother voted for Trump and my partner is an immigrant and I can imagine X, Y, and Z. But the fact that this got borne out on such a personal level of like I lost my job because of someone you voted for is just such an exacerbated form of something that I think is happening in a lot of places right now.
0: Yeah, and I think it's always important to um, clarify when a particular vote or a particular agency or a particular individual politician um, it is doing something that materially affects your life um, and, and somebody else thinks of it merely as a thought exercise or a, an idea um, to to really dial into the specifics and to say, like, here is how this affects real people is is a good thing. Again, it's often painful, but it's also often necessary. Um, and you can kind of see the ways in which her mom wants to, or this person's mom wants to hold on to this idea of, well, this isn't real. This doesn't affect real people that I know. And so when she's faced with that reality, she wants to deny that reality. She right. wants to go back to No, no, no. These are all just uh, it's a game. It's an idea. It's a thought exercise. Um and, Who can and I, even remember politics? Exactly. And it's like we need to because these do affect real people. And as long as you want to pretend that they don't, I I think you will keep making decisions in the voting booth that um depend on treating other people as hypothetical and that uh, hurts people, so uh, I think it's really, really good to you to challenge your mom's attempt to um, rewrite the past. Um, yeah, and and you know, regardless of how she how well she does or doesn't respond to it, you get to still acknowledge reality. Like she doesn't get to take that away from you. Um, you will always have the power to say, "Nope, I remember what happened. I was there. This was the consequence." You know, I'm I'm not going to stop calling the truth the truth just because it upsets you.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, it goes against every fiber of my being. It's like you cannot convince me that you know totally, right is yeah. left. Yeah. yeah, it's double speak, and it's oh, yeah. there's nothing to me that's more maddening, right, than somebody telling you it's so painful. Black is white.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it would be one thing if you kind of owned it, even if you were cruel about it, because then at least I would feel like we were meeting in a place of honesty. Um, right. But this feels painful in a more intimate and deep way. Which is I think an excellent segue to our next letter because, oh God, sorry. We do um, after this, there's a nice fun one about worms, and I think that's going <laughs> to yes. be great to get to. And I appreciate so much you're kind of like wading into some really difficult stuff. but there's just intimate forms of pain today.
1: And this is another mom uh-huh. problem. Yep. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's your turn to read. I didn't mean to spoil. No,
0: no, no. I, I often like to spoil letters. And, um, you know, we sometimes get lots of, um, you know, husbands and uncles and bosses and best friends and siblings. So, you know, every once in a while we just have a mom day. Yep. And uh, that's what today is. Today is that. So Ooh. the subject is water park freakout, Dear Prudence. After being in a car accident as a kid, I lost two toes on my left foot and I have scars up to my knee. It doesn't hinder me physically, but I was bullied badly in school and only recently got comfortable wearing summer clothes and sandals, mostly because of my boyfriend, Paul. I've met his family, including his three younger sisters, who are 9, 12, and 13 years old, and spent last Christmas with them. Recently, my boyfriend and I picked them up to treat them to a visit to a water park. It was the first time they'd seen my bare legs. I had anticipated questions, but not what happened. As we were driving, the oldest one noticed the scars on my leg and shrieked, what happened to you? I didn't get a chance to explain before the girls exploded and egged each other on. One started to gag, and the other begged me to cover up with a towel before she, quote, threw up. I started to cry. Paul got furious, turned the car around, ordered the girls out of the car, and then took me out to a restaurant and comforted me. Later on, the girls offered me a rehearsed apology, and I accepted. I figured that was the end of it, until Paul's mom pulled me to the side, lectured that all of this could have been avoided if I had covered up more, and said that it was my responsibility not to make people uncomfortable. I didn't know what to say. I just nodded. I thought she liked me. I haven't told Paul, and I'm afraid of what will happen if I do. I feel completely exposed in front of his family, even if I'm covered up. What should I do?
1: Oh boy, do I have thoughts. Yeah. Sorry, you go ahead.
0: I think mostly I just want to say, first of all, I'm so sorry that this happened to you. This sounds unbelievably painful and upsetting and shocking. um, And I'm so sorry that they did that and that the mom doubled down on it. Um, I'm also so glad that Paul is just in your corner. Um, I know.
1: Paul sounds like the best. He he responded
0: in the right way um it, it was appropriate for him to display anger it was appropriate for him to cut the trip short it was appropriate for him to then go focus on you and how you were doing um i'm really really glad that you have a partner like him
1: yep so like the what should i do tell paul for sure yeah you know like this it sounds like this is a relationship that you're caring about thinking about the future and so Navigating his family isn't going to go away. And you you have to be honest with him about what happened. Um, And, yeah, the two of you have to figure out how to handle this together. And then, I mean, the other thing is, I mean, tell the mom that this really all could have been avoided if she raised children who respected other people's bodies. But I know that I used to teach middle school, so I know that middle schoolers can basically beep monster people but the you know the fact that they weren't given a lecture on to offer a sincere apology was already a flag for me that mm-hmm. apology should have been like we talked to our mom we told her what happened or Paul told our mom what happened and we really thought about it and like that would have made me feel so bad if somebody did that to me like i just think that children need to be learning these lessons and it's I feel bad for these kids. Also, they are being taught to be hateful and rude about other people's bodies.
0: Right. And that's so hard, I think, in a situation like this when the oldest one is 13. So it's like both there's responsibility for their own behavior, but also you want to think of them as, you know, still growing into the people that they will become. So you want to give them opportunities to learn and grow and develop sympathy and compassion and respect and seeing the ways in which you know, clearly their mom communicated to them on some level, you only have to offer a perfunctory apology, but really, you know, it's your brother's girlfriend who's making things difficult. Um, And so the letter, the lesson that they are learning from that is, is not a good one. Um, But I I, I totally agree. I think you, you need to tell Paul. And I think my read there was that the reason was Uh, she's afraid of what will happen if she does is because she knows paul will defend her and get angry and she doesn't want she already feels guilty like she's she's internalized a little bit of the mom's message of like this was kind of on you for not warning everybody about your body and so as a result uh she feels self-conscious and i i get that but i just think that you um You should gently acknowledge that feeling within yourself, but don't let it dictate your actions because this is really important. I think Paul should be having conflict with his mother and siblings about this. And, um, you know, if if the situation were reversed, I think you would want Paul to tell you.
1: Yeah, and I know that the letter writer intellectually knows this and that you've hinted at it, but it was not your responsibility to make— other people feel comfortable with your body like that is not your responsibility um it I, like just extenuated out what if I, like if this was about race or gender right like this is not it is not your responsibility to make other people feel comfortable in that way
0: yeah and i just think just by itself as as it, it just it is what it is it would have been totally reasonable like you went in with i think a very reasonable set of expectations which is like their kids they haven't seen me um without like pants and shoes on before they might have a question and i am prepared to answer like a kid's question about my legs um and and then i think too the way in which you saw them egg each other on like on some level i think they knew uh, we need a little group consensus in order to be maximally cruel um and and we're going to like push each other onto more and more hyperbolic reactions because we kind of know this isn't okay um and so we need the cover of like a group attack in order to do it so again i would just really really stress you know this but like remind yourself deep within your soul um that You had like that. It's just horrible to say, well, if you want people not to be cruel about scars you got from a car accident, um, you should, you know, apologize for wearing sandals to a water park or cover up your body as if it's something to be ashamed of. Um, That's horrible. And I'm so, so, so sorry that that is what your your boyfriend's mom communicated to you, especially after her daughters had already like just gone off the deep end being cruel to you.
1: Nice pun on the water park.
0: I'm truly sorry for that. I <laughs> Yeah.
1: The other line that just makes me so sad is that I thought she liked me. Yeah. And it's people who are being judgmental and cruel will do it despite the fact that they quote unquote like you. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure that his mom does like you. Right. Um, and is just, you know, for, I, I don't want to guess the reasons, but is just being cruel and completely off about this.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point because it is true. She can both like you and genuinely believe that somebody who has scars has a responsibility to keep them covered at all time, lest they invite mockery. Um, and that would just mean that she both likes you and has really cruel opinions.
1: And there's just this theme with this letter in the first letter between women judging each other's bodies so harshly, which I, like is just so troubling to me. Rather than women celebrating each other's bodies and saying, you know, scars are beautiful and my daughter is happy and any number of other things— Women are judging each
0: other's bodies, and I know that that
1: is not mostly what people are – what women are doing, but in these two letters, it's just so upsetting.
0: Right, and not even, like, if they can't even get to that, to just say, like, um, I don't need to say anything here. And I think couching it as, like, hey, I'm kind of doing you a favor – You know, like, let me give you a little tough love about the real world. And in the real world, you can't trust that your fiancé loves you because you're only, quote, average-looking. Or, you know, of course you should expect that, like children should say, I'm going to throw up at the sight of you if you don't keep your legs covered at all times. Like Their version of what they think the real world is that they're cluing you in on is one where you can't trust other people. Um, You can invite cruelty by failing to be sufficiently ashamed of yourself. Um, And you shouldn't ask to be treated with respect because that's asking too much. And that's very, very sad. Um, And it's very, very good to reject that version of reality. So I think talk to Paul, you know, do it at a time when you know you're not going to be seeing his family anytime really soon. And certainly if you want to share with him, like, I both want your help and support in this. And I'm also worried and I feel a little anxious at the prospect of coming between you and your family. I hope that when you talk to them about this, you can find a way to do so calmly and firmly. Um, Like, if you want to defend and support me, I hope we can find about like find ways to talk about it that are not um, being maximally cruel back. Do you know what I mean? Like not telling him exactly how to do it, but saying like, I don't want to like get into a screaming match about this. And I I hope that you'll bear that in mind.
1: Right. But I think that that, you know, that's the way that um, we train each other in relationships about how to take care of each other. Right. It's. Like I want to tell you something that happened, and here is how you can best take care of me. like what within this range feels comfortable to you. But I think it i I think it's completely within the letter writer's right to say, you know, it would make me really uncomfortable if this was a screaming match the next time we were all together, right um. And to say this would be the best case scenario for me,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then I think it should happen with you in a miniskirt and sandals.
0: Oh, I think you should. I totally agree, but I also think you shouldn't have to be there for it.
1: Oh no, no, yeah. no, no, no! I know. I'm sorry, I was that <laughs> that is, kidding. Yeah,
0: no, that is. I do. I do appreciate that just reminder maybe just like as a mental image for the letter writer to keep in mind when she talks to Paul about it but yeah one of the things that will be good I think is like the reason the first time felt so painful was because it all happened in the moment so he didn't kind of have the opportunity to stop and reflect and part of what will be good about this is you can both take a little time to calm down so like if he needs to like write a really angry letter and not send it or if he wants to go like you know turn on the shower and scream or punch a pillow or something like something that kind of gets out his first really, really just angry reaction. Um, so that when he does talk to his mom, it's not in the first throes of, I just want to hurt you as much as you've hurt me and my girlfriend. Um, and that that will be useful. And, you know, think really carefully about what you need. And if part of what you need right now is to just not be around his family, that's not punitive or, um, overly sensitive that's a really understandable need for safety you know like unless and until they can all get to a place of really understanding what they did wrong deeply regretting it demonstrating an ability to respect your boundaries for a sustained amount of time only then should you consider whether or not you'd be comfortable having like a very brief hello to them Um, and if they cannot meet those standards you do not need to be around them
1: Well, she says it, right? She says, I feel completely exposed in front of his family, even if I'm covered up. And so until that stops being true, Mm -hmm. like, I don't think you have to be around his family. Yeah. Like, feeling completely exposed in front of people who have been cruel to you, that is, like, not something that you have to willingly submit to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, until something changes, you know. Yeah sit barefoot at home.
0: Yeah. Be around people who care about you. I hope you can talk about this with your friends. I hope you can talk about this with Paul. Um, And I just hope that you are able to take the space that you need. And I'm just, again, I'm so sorry that this happened. That sounds absolutely just, I I would be shocked and mortified in that moment if that had happened to me. And I totally understand just the sense of, I thought they liked me. I I feel really shell-shocked.
1: I was embarrassed when my stepdaughter in front of a bunch of friends pointed out how my hair was graying. Oh, So no. I, she said to me, I can really see your gray hair right now, and it does not look good. Oh. But she was six. Yeah. And, you know, so – and even that hurt my feelings. Of course. And she, w- she was also wrong because my gray hair looks awesome. <laughs> but I can't imagine how upsetting this would be. Yeah.
0: Gray hair does look awesome. Um, look thank no you. further than Bonnie Raitt and her amazing streak of gray.
1: And that's how mine is growing in. That is so it's cool. Like, thank you. Congratulations. I
0: know. <laughs>
1: I I really appreciate it.
0: Do you want to talk about worms for a few minutes?
1: I, so, Danny. I think that this should be the beginning of a rom-com. This is like, <laughs> that is my theory on this upcoming letter.
0: Please go ahead and read it.
1: Okay subject how do i tell my friend i think her kid has worms dear prudence i'm staying at a friend's house for a week this morning i used the bathroom after someone else in the family had just finished and i noticed a maggoty looking little white worm wriggling across the edge of the seat I flushed it out of panic, but some Google searches made me think it might have been a pinworm, which is apparently a parasite kids commonly get. I haven't had any symptoms, and her son is six, which makes me think it's probably from him. My friend and I are close, but not so close that I feel comfortable gracefully addressing the situation. Also, I've had a slight crush on her. And I'm worried if I tell her and they all get checked out by a doctor and discover no one has worms and therefore it might have been me, I might actually die of shame. I'm here for two more days. Help. This is so charming. I know. I just tell tell your friend and tell profess your love. That's
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the most... Like, extremely suave. If you could pull that off, right? it would be true love and or you would be the most suave human being ever to live.
1: I'm sorry. Do you not think that, like, poop conversations are the best meet-cute situations I mean, ever? Uh, no?
0: I. It's certainly an opportunity for increased intimacy. And I, I agree that it, it should be done with a pretty light tone. Like, you gotta yeah. be able to chat about this kind of thing, like... My guess is if your kid has a six-year-old, they are used to having conversations about poop. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's probably a lot less squeamish about it than you might feel as the guest in her home. So if it's me, I would just be like, hey, uh, there's no great way to preface this. So I'll just tell you, uh, I I saw a worm on the toilet and um, I think that your kid might have pinworms and uh, I'm sorry to be talking about worms with you. But you should mention it to your pediatrician.
1: Also, as somebody who fell in love with someone in part because they were such a good parent, I just think that this would make me fall in love with this person, that, like, they were so concerned about my child's health that they talked about something really awkward with me. I I would find it so sexy if somebody was like, (laughs) this is gross. I'm sorry to bring it up. But I just want to let you know, I'm mildly concerned that your kid might have a totally normal kind of worms. I saw it and I Googled it and your kid's perfectly healthy. There's just, you know, a little pill that they would have to take. And maybe it's me. Who knows? But I'm worried.
0: Yeah, like Like, I'll also go to the doctor just to double check.
1: Yeah, let's all go to the doctor and do poop tests together. I
0: think that last one is maybe... Maybe wait and gauge her reaction first, but I agree that that would be an ideal if you could just get everyone on board and she was just super like, oh, my goodness, sorry you had to see that in the bathroom. Let's all go down to the doctor and, uh, you know, you know, yeah, that would be ideal if if she's slightly cooler than that. But it's just like, oh, I'm embarrassed. Thank you for telling me. I'm so sorry. Uh, I hope that everything else uh, during your stay has been good and that there are no worms anywhere else in the house um
1: as maggot free as possible
0: yeah i just i want to help our letter writer have reasonable expectations and i don't want (laughs) to promise if you tell her she will say that it's the sexiest thing i've ever heard i love you let's go out um that might need to be a separate conversation but yeah i think you just got to admit it um tell her what you saw tell her you feel a little bad bringing it up freely name the thing that you're most uncomfortable about, which is just, by the way, I will head to the doctor, too. Could be me, in which case, what an embarrassing conversation this will have been. And then you two can laugh about it. Like, you sound pretty close. I don't think, especially if she's a parent of a young child, that she's going to be like, oh, this is horrible. I can't believe you said the word worm to me in my own home. Get out, get out, get out.
1: Yeah. No, and I agree. In these situations, I think complete and utter truth is the way to go. It's like, this is why I'm embarrassed. This is what I saw. This is like, go meta with yeah. the truth is the way to do it. But also, kiss. <laughs> I mean, no. Okay.
0: I, 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 I do want them to kiss, but my yeah. worry would be. If you kiss too soon look, you're I mean, I, I, I tend to let uh I dare not wait upon I dare like the cat in the adage. I don't know how to say the word adage. Adage. I don't know. Adage. N- adage? Adage. That adage. sounds right. My my producer just looked at him, was like nodding very vigorously <laughs> after looking kind of skeptical for my last couple of attempts. <laughs> at any rate, um, you know, I I I, I would want one more green light before I tried to kiss someone during a conversation about worms. Oh, Um, consensually. No, no, no. Of course. I didn't didn't mean to suggest you were implying just grabbing (laughs) her and going for it. I would just be like, I don't know. I I think if that conversation goes well and you two can kind of laugh about it, um, you will have a slightly better sense of whether or not uh, you're getting the green light in other areas. Um,
1: Also, you sound like an adorable person. Who like Googled this? That's very thoughtful. Yeah, is like, oh, it's really common in kids. Like that, you aren't grossed out. I don't know. I just think you sound lovely.
0: Yeah, and certainly, I think anytime somebody is like, "I love you," "I love your kid," I want to make sure that if you have any, you know, parasites that you get them all handled. That's usually a pretty great way into someone's affection. Um, So, good luck. I hope that you two do fall in love and that none of you ever get pinworms again.
1: Yes. And that Mindy Kaling writes the rom-com.
0: One can only hope. All right. So the, the brief warm respite is over and we are, we are back to uh, tricky stuff. And the subject is accidentally ruined a wedding. Dear Prudence, last weekend I went to a wedding and had a lovely time. However, the day before the wedding, I got confirmation that I have cancer. It is of a very curable type, and we caught it in the early stages. I'm not facing a death sentence. But I did tell a few people at the wedding who asked about my test results. I thought I had made it clear to them that I wasn't too worried, and I did ask them not to tell anyone else, but obviously, I realize now, they did. And soon, everyone seemed to know. Total strangers came up to me and offered their sympathies. I did all I could to minimize it, but the bride is now saying I ruined her wedding. I have apologized, but she's still angry and says she can't deal with anything right now, although she's willing to talk after she gets back from her honeymoon. I'm not sure what my next steps should be. I I feel like the bride is not being reasonable here. I, I, I don't... This does not feel to me like sometimes people will write in and say somebody else got engaged at my wedding or... Or, like, you know, announce they're having a baby at my wedding or something. And those moments feel like out of a genuine desire to upstage or steal the spotlight away.
1: Steal thunder. Yeah.
0: But this feels like, of course, it was on your mind. And, of course, your close friends care about you. And, of course, they would want to know. Um, I, I, Right? Like, is is that your read here, too?
1: Oh! yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Even not bad cancer is still cancer. Yeah. And, like, that, that's that's a thing that's happening. And on other people's wedding days, like, your cancer doesn't stop existing. Like, and it sounds like you didn't even bring it up at the wedding that people who knew you were having the test done asked and then did the totally normal thing of, like, sharing their concern. What I will say about your friend is that I think that the marriage industrial complex turns people who are getting married into not the best versions of themselves. I think often so much pressure is put on this day and it's quote unquote my day and it's the best day of my life and it's the most special day of my life that I I would think that if this is a good friend, and it probably is, that they will come back from their honeymoon a more reasonable version of themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree, too. I think there are within limits. It is appropriate to say on my wedding day, I hope that people would not discuss their own upcoming engagement or wedding or, totally. you know, stuff that falls under the umbrella of things that we could just as easily talk about tomorrow. But anytime, you know, if you say, like, I want people to hold off on discussing a very recent cancer diagnosis until after I get back from my honeymoon, like, you know, you have just lost the spirit of the law, you know, like, (laughs) to me, it would feel like if I were to say something like, well, I guess you could have checked in with the bride beforehand, that would feel like the mom of that previous letter being like, well, you could have worn, you know, compression stockings to the water park, like, that's not a reasonable thing to ask of your friends for your wedding day. So
1: right, and it sounds like right, like these other friends were going up to the letter writer and being like, "Hey, have you heard back on your on your test results?" And what, like, what was the letter writer supposed to do? Lie to their friends about about cancer? Like, I, I just, I also. I don't know. I don't like to use sex in the city as the barometer for my whole life, but Samantha finds out about her cancer at Miranda's wedding. Please Miranda always very bring supportive show into this. <laughs> okay. Right? Samantha's like, I have cancer, but I don't want to talk about it because it's your wedding. And Miranda is like, we are talking about this now. And that is friendship. But Miranda isn't part of the, like, bride industrial complex. She wears brown to her wedding. So if this bride was like, a bride with a capital B, I just – I think that so much pressure is put on this because it's a multibillion-dollar-a-year industry and, like, this is a system failing a friendship. And just, like, give – if you can forgive your friend for responding heinously, I suspect that they might come back from their honeymoon
0: more reasonable. And yeah, and I, I, I just, I really agree. Like, it worries me a little bit that your friend didn't ask. And maybe you yeah. hadn't mentioned it to her. But honestly, if part of the reason you hadn't mentioned it to her because you got the sense that she would be upset with you for getting a cancer diagnosis the day before her wedding, that sends off a lot of alarm bells to me about her priorities. So I, I think I really don't even think you needed to apologize, frankly. Um, and if she comes back and and is not, able to apologize herself, then I think your next move needs to be, hey, look, I love you and I'm happy to celebrate you. But if your idea of like appropriate wedding behavior is ignoring the fact that I'd gotten a cancer diagnosis 24 hours earlier, we don't have the same ideas of... uh, either what's appropriate at a wedding or what friends should ask from each other. I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm really hurt that you didn't ask me how I was doing. Um, I, I want to have the kind of friendship where we can both acknowledge a good thing like a wedding and, you know, grieve and express concern and, and fear around a cancer diagnosis. Um, if you can't hold both of those at the same time, um, okay. But I'm not going to apologize for talking about my very recent cancer diagnosis. And I really hope you're not getting this from any of your other friends. I hope if that conversation doesn't go well, um, she has other people in her life who will say, what the hell are you doing? You need to turn this ship around. Um, But yeah, do not apologize again. She is angry over an unreasonable thing.
1: Yeah, they, they literally like the joke is that it's the cancer card and you get to play it whenever you want. Like, and you didn't, but, and this person didn't even play it.
0: Right. Like, of course, what are you going to say if somebody asks you, like, we'll talk about it tomorrow? Like, then that's just going to, you know what I mean? Like, there's no version of this no. where you play along with her game and things work out. And, and even that bit of, like, don't worry, it's an early stage, so I shouldn't care. Is just, like, it's still cancer. Of course you're going to worry about it. And please don't feel like you have to explain, like, don't worry, I'm not terminal as, like, so therefore, I should treat it like a mild head cold and just take some DayQuil and like power through.
1: The only thing I can imagine the bride saying is like, well, you didn't have to tell everybody ahead of time. But again, to quote Sex in the City,
0: you get a day, not a week. So, And just again, like you, you can't control when you get your cancer diagnosis. Right. Like, it's just it's just ludicrous. Again, like the idea of a wedding day as a special celebration of good news is totally true. And that's why anything less important, we tend to want to invite people to save until the next day. But there are some things um, that that a wedding doesn't trump. Like 24 hours ago, I found out I had cancer. My friends know about this because I expressed my concern that I might have cancer. Of course, we're going to talk about it. Of course. So just, yeah, I just don't even think there's a version of this where your friend has a point. Again, it's not even like you grabbed the mic during somebody else's toast to say, I have cancer, Um, which even that, while I don't think that would be the best move uh, I think I would still kind of. Anyways, that's not what happened. I don't need to speculate about stuff that didn't happen. I am.
1: Yeah, but I'm with you. Yeah. If if that's how you had to cope with your cancer, I feel like meh.
0: Right. Even then on top of like even harder. Yeah you you brought it up in a totally appropriate way, and even if you hadn't, I still don't think she would have a lot of grounds to be super super angry with you. But. Anyways, back to something lighthearted, which is so nice. We get to close on an easy breezy, cover girl kind of an answer, which is just like, you know, how do you live together with somebody well?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you think this is easy.
0: I I, I think it's going to affect a lot and it won't be resolved overnight, but it's not like um, I just found out my friend doesn't care about my cancer kind of hard. Do you know what I mean?
1: Totally. This is like
0: garden variety. Like we love each other, but living with another person is really hard and we have super different expectations. And, you know, I think there's room for both of them to try to meet each other in the middle.
1: Yeah. Which is absolutely. Always good. So, subject weirdly picky girlfriend. Dear Prudence, I've been dating Clara for over a year and we recently moved in together. Mostly it's fine, but we're very different eaters. I'm fine eating leftovers for days at a time. There was a week back in grad school where I had the exact same breakfast, lunch, and dinner just because those were the meals that were the cheapest to make. Clara, on the other hand, hates leftovers. If we go to a restaurant and she didn't finish her meal, even if she loved it, I'll be the one to take it home because she gets grossed out by the idea of reheating it. I've told her that we should just cook for ourselves because we're so different, but she insists that we cook together. It's fun occasionally, but she wants to cook together nearly every day. I don't see the point in making a meal from scratch when there's multiple things that I can reheat quickly instead of spending 20 minutes or more cooking. We haven't thought about this exactly, but she doesn't like it when I don't want to cook with her, usually saying I'm weird for wanting to eat leftovers. It also doesn't help that a lot of her recipes she got from her parents, who used to cook for a family of seven, and Clara hasn't figured out how to properly scale it down to two people. So there's at least three days' worth of leftovers I can eat instead of letting it waste. I know that I won't be able to change this quirk of hers, but how can I get her to stop the snark when I don't cook with her every day? I have many thoughts and feelings, but you thought it was easy. I'm
0: I i, I now, I'm now eating my words. I guess I just mean... Um,
1: Leftover eating your words. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, like, yeah. obviously, this is something that affects your day-to-day life. Um, and you both have really different ideas about what's the right thing to do here. But it also sounds like this is sort of like a first time living together, don't really know how to talk about... How do we cook together? Don't know how to compromise. The letter writer's first attempt at compromise was just like, let's never share a meal, like, <laughs> which understandably did not work. Right. Like for various reasons, your partner's like, I didn't move in with you because I, you know, don't want to share meals with you. That's not going to work for me exactly. But you I, I I, would love to hear your thoughts here.
1: Um, I mean, first of all, just like as a vegetarian, who cares <laughs> A lot about the environment. Food waste in America is a real issue. It is,
0: totally. And so
1: I'm like, I did research on numbers. I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to, like, come in and have this type of conversation with her. I think that the thing to do is try to set the tone for how the two of you will have conversations about compromise But food waste is real, and it creates methane, and America is terrible. American households toss out 150,000 tons of food each day. That's a pound of food per person per day. It is a crime, and leftovers are a good thing. Eat them all don't throw away
0: food. I am. I think that is absolutely an important thing here, which is that like she might never love leftovers. But in that case, I I think it's important to say like uh, it's good to not waste the maximum amount of food. And so let's talk about ways that if you are determined never to eat leftovers, we can adapt our approach to preparing meals like that might look like sometimes having a lot of little snacks on hand. Um, that you can kind of cobble together into a one-and-done meal. um, And that doesn't involve like cooking a big old casserole and then flinging all of it out of the window. Um, But if she's like, look, some nights I would like to cook together, but I don't want leftovers, that means either it's important for her to take responsibility for cutting down the amount of uh, servings in a given recipe, um, and or also having on hand stuff like some tomatoes that you can slice up into a salad and like a thing of cottage cheese or a thing of, you know, beans or whatever that you can throw together a quick meal that doesn't have leftovers as a result on the other side.
1: As I know you have done in the past as a listener of this podcast, peanut butter and fingers. Peanut butter <laughs> like and fingers, you gotta, yeah. You got to do what you got to do sometimes.
0: Uh, and you know, it doesn't have to be joyless. You can, you know, make... <laughs> like attractive little snacky type meals. But yeah, I I agree with you that there's both the subject of like totally understand why you would want to eat with your partner um, but the request of like every night we should be making meals for seven and then you are somehow responsible for eating all the leftovers because I won't but I'm going to want to make a brand new dinner tomorrow night thus creating more leftovers faster than the rate at which you can eat them. It's like living in a bad word problem.
1: (laughs) Danny, you're not a little bit red flagging over the so far it's been fine, which doesn't sound great, or mostly it's fine and uh, she says I'm weird for wanting to eat leftovers. that sounds like. Not that excited and name-calling yeah. very early in a rooming situation.
0: To me, this feels... So this is a romantic relationship and a rooming situation. I, and right,
1: right, right. It does sound... A romantic rooming yeah. situation. Yeah,
0: I, I absolutely agree that this sucks and it needs to stop. But I also think that the first move here is to have a direct conversation with her about it. And if she doesn't respond to that, then it's time to, like, escalate a little bit. So I would say the first conversation needs to be, like... Hey, I get that we have different approaches to food and to leftovers, and I'm not trying to pressure you into uh, reheating stuff. That said, it's not weird to eat leftovers. This isn't like a strange quirk that I invented, um, and you need to stop uh, like criticizing me for doing it. I'm not ever making you eat these leftovers, so all I'm asking you to do is stop giving me a hard time when I do. I need you to be able to do that. Um, and making that just and like what? a really clear request, like, can you do that for me? Sure hope so.
1: And the only thing I'll say about that is that I find in in my partnership that it is best that we have conversations about tense things, not near the time of the tense thing. Right. So it's like don't have that conversation as you're making your grocery list or as you're starting to cook. Maybe like on a Sunday morning walk, like, hey, I want to talk more generally about dinners. Because doing it Right when everybody is hungry, I feel like the stakes feel high and it starts to feel like a metaphor and, like, you want to avoid it feeling like a metaphor and just come at her with numbers. Like, this is the amount of money we could save in a year Mm -hmm. and we could go to Hawaii with that money. Yeah. And then take me to Hawaii.
0: I think that's also just a really good idea in terms of like setting aside some time to say like, hey, I've noticed that this has been a problem for a little while um, when you are not about to prepare dinner. I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think mostly I don't mean to suggest that like I think this is no big deal. It mostly just sounds like maybe first time living together with a partner, certainly first time living with this person. Here's an unexpected thing that doesn't work for us. How do we talk about it? And I think it's going to be better for you, letter writer, to say both... I need you to stop giving me a hard time about this. And I also want you to acknowledge that it's important to me that we not waste food and we need to meet somewhere in the middle um, as a sort of like, I sort of just assumed we'd be on the same page about this. And when we weren't, I said, well, let's just never eat together and see if that'll work. <laughs> um, again, not to be too hard on you. Like I totally no. relate to that. No. and I can totally see myself doing it because if there's one me thing I too. love, it's avoiding conflict. <laughs> Um,
1: that's what I'm that's why I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, this doesn't work. My partner and I are terrible at picking each other up from the airport. Mm-hmm. And so we literally just don't do it anymore.
0: That's great. So, As you know, yeah. Crystal had a whole monologue about that. And when Harry met Sally. <laughs> yes, he classic did. for a reason. But yeah, I think yes. and, and offering forms of compromise, like what if there are a couple of nights a week where what I do is reheat a leftover thing for myself? And you assemble something that is, like, look, there are whole, like, TV shows dedicated to, like, semi-homemade meals, right? Like, uh, Sandra, what's her name, made a whole career out of that. Rachel Ray, too. Um, I'm very embarrassed that I cannot remember gay icon um, Sandra Lee semi-homemade meals with uh, Sandra Lee. Like, there are tons of ways to assemble, like, you know, a quick dinner that are not uh, either eating leftovers or making uh, a Buff bourguignon from scratch or what have you (laughs) um so some version of like some nights i'm gonna want to eat leftovers but i understand wanting to eat together let's prepare something at the same time but not like totally cook let's pick like one night a week where we make a scaled down dinner together um that does not result in like three tupperware containers full of leftovers um and and try to see how that goes before we make any other big changes here here and yeah, if 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 you make that request and she keeps harping on it, what would be your next move? How would you how would you more strongly respond?
1: I would I guess the the like 30,000 foot conversation that I would have is why are we judging each other for choices that are about preference and not morality? Although I do think food waste is about morality. So this is a bad example. Mm-hmm. But like I, I think like. Hey, we're going to have a lot of conflicts over like if this is going to be a lifelong or like multi-year relationship. Conflicts are going to come up. Like hair is going to get caught in the, you know, in the sink. What what is the word I'm looking for? The
0: sink hair? Mhm. I don't
1: yeah, Is there a word for hair in the drain? The sink? Oh, sure, sure. Drain. Sure. Yeah. Like, you know, like we're going to have different habits and different standards for all sorts of things from cleanliness to food to any number of other things, how often – how the bed should get made, anything. And so what I would like to do is for us to figure out a really constructive and loving way to have these conversations. Yeah. And, like, maybe it's, like, during our once-a-month dinner out, we have 10 minutes where we're like, okay, like, this is something we can do better. But name-calling and judging – um are like not the best ways to go into I just really don't like it when people judge each other for things that are um that are preferences yeah. rather than facts
0: and i think that that's a really good point um that is is worth bringing up too like just as a bigger picture issue like if we do stuff that we disagree about I want to be able to talk about it, but I, I really don't want you to bring it up in a way that's like a lot of little digs. And I've yeah. noticed that you've been doing it here. My worry is that in the future, if we disagree about something else, that will be how you communicate to me that something's bothering you. I don't want you to do that to me. Um, again, that kind of like, can we agree that we will do our best when something is troubling us to either decide, do I want to ask my partner to do something different or can I let this go? Um because when you make those little digs, it just, you know, it's unpleasant. It kind of hurts my feelings. It feels mean. Um, and and I don't want to talk to each other like that.
1: Yeah. The other thing is, like, be a little inquisitive. Because sometimes, so, you know, I've been very judgmental about food waste. But sometimes people don't like leftovers for a really good reason. You know, my grandparents grew up during the Depression. And sure. so my mom is, like, very weird about leftovers because her mother used to serve her borderline spoiled food because my grandmother couldn't throw anything away, Right. right? So, like, sometimes there is, like, generational or, like, childhood reasons why somebody doesn't like leftovers or they don't like leftovers from the microwave and prefer it to be heated in the oven or, like, I think going into these conversations with curiosity is a good thing and not being like, hey, weirdo, why don't you like leftovers? Right.
0: But it does seem like this letter writer is not the one bringing that energy. Like, it sounds like the letter writer has actually been pretty open-minded about like, look, if you don't like leftovers, fine. I'll take over leftover duty. Um, So I'm not too worried that the letter writer is going to start being dismissive or sarcastic. I think this person sounds very sincere. And like, I don't really understand why my partner is bringing all this snark to this conversation. Um, And so I think it'll just be really good to ask her to stop. And that, I think, again, is a good litmus test for how she's willing to approach conflict. Um, because it it may just be that she has not yet realized like, Oh, this is actually not a very constructive way to go about getting what I want or talking about what I need. Um, but if she's just like, Nope, it's great. And I'm going to keep being, um, an asshole about the microwave. Then I think the next move is to start saying like when she does it, like, you know, that I don't like this and it hurts my feelings. I don't know why you keep doing it. Uh, and then like, again, if it continues uh, leaving the house, eventually reassessing whether or not you want to live together. But all that would be a little ways down the road. I don't think that's where you need to go to right away. I agree. And, um, I, you know, I wish you good luck. Leftovers are delicious. And it's the food you Leftovers liked yesterday. Leftovers
1: are an opportunity.
0: Yeah. I, you yeah. can make little pancakes out of mashed potatoes. And yeah. Now you have uh, crispy mashed potatoes, which is an ideal situation.
1: Yeah. And then you put some peanut butter on those and you die happy.
0: Yeah. And it's just I don't know. It's good to get a sense for like how much food do I actually eat every week. And if I'm routinely buying way, way, way too much stuff at the store and then letting all of my aspirational produce go bad, uh, it's it's good to try to cut back on all my aspirational produce.
1: Did Eat. you coin the term aspirational oh, produce no, 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 because no, 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 I love no. it? That's oh, I, okay. I've seen
0: that one running around on Twitter for ages because I think it is a kind of universal problem where oftentimes we all think like, I bet this is the week that I start just like washing and cutting up a ton of vegetables and just eating crudité <laughs> all day in addition to whatever food I already like. And I'm just going to be incredible and full of fiber and just really on top of my life. And then, you know, the week happens and we devolve <laughs> to our normal habits, which are more along the lines of like, you know eating peanut butter out of the jar and then you know the version of ourselves that was eating crudité. wilts and dies in our crisper drawer and we're too ashamed to acknowledge that that part of ourselves is not yet grounded in reality so we leave the crisper drawer closed and then you know saturday night we're raiding the fridge and we open it and we throw it away furtively and we feel bad and i want to break us all free of that cycle (laughs) myself included
1: Where do you you break it? Do you break it at the grocery store? Do you break it at the grocery list? Where do you break that
0: cycle? Where's the
1: moment to interrupt it?
0: I'm genuinely hopeful that this is a step because, you know, shedding light on a topic is always good. But, yeah, I think um, it can help to generally get a sense of, like, what stuff did I buy last week that I actually ate and enjoyed? Uh And how often does that seem to happen? And maybe let's pick one piece of aspirational produce a week. Um, Uh because that will feel more like, okay, my job this week is to eat five more radishes than usual. Um, Uh uh, that's, that's slightly more like within reach than like maybe today's the day that I add a giant tomato salad to every meal, even though, you know, I know myself like keep keep the aspiration within your grasp.
1: Yeah, do you have aspirational pants cuz I hold on to aspirational pants from like 10 years ago.
0: I, I I'm thinking
1: about letting them go.
0: I I try more for my aspirational clothing not to be about fit but just about uh-huh. style. So sometimes Uh I have particular styles that I'm like, I don't know exactly when I'm going to become the kind of person who wears this, but I'm hopeful. But in my experience, aspirational sized clothing is just a great way to make myself feel unnecessarily sad. And uh, I don't want that for my life.
1: No, I, I know. I just moved and I'm like, this is the time to get rid of the size, whatever. Yeah. This is yeah, the time. Yeah. But aspirational style, wear that tomorrow. Yeah, You're exactly. that person
0: tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. that that's way better than like when my body is sized a certain way, then my life will truly begin <laughs> um, is often a way to make sure that you feel like you don't deserve a good life right now. And that's no good. Yeah. I want. I want or that
1: your fiance is too handsome for you. Oh, my
0: God. Like, <laughs> come on on (laughs) woo, that one was just you are a villain in a rom-com you are the mom who is pushing like you're lucille bluth do you know what i mean like if you're afraid of being criticized sometimes a diet is the best offense like that is that is the road you're going down and as funny as we all found watching you know like compilational clips of the best lucille bluth zingers when we were 19 no one wants to be around that person um, and that person does not actually get what she wants. Um, she is, she's not a good road for you to go down. So
1: I didn't even like watching that show because I was like, I don't like jerks in real life. Why would I watch jerk TV? So I yeah. don't even want Lucille Bluth levels, I let
0: alone. I am right there with you, right yeah. there with you. All right, my friend, thank you so, so much for coming on this show. Good luck with the many other shows that you are on right now and you know just thank you for helping us wade through a lot of very complex situations.
1: Thank you for having me and I can't wait for your next book.
0: I also can't. <laughs> it is available for pre-order now. It is called Something oh! That May Shock and Discredit You. And it's coming out in early 2020.
1: You think I'm kidding. I am pre-ordering it right this second.
0: Fantastic. There is currently uh, an Amazon strike going on. So I recommend uh, pre-ordering it on IndieBound um, or BarnesandNoble.com.
1: I'm going to go to my local bookstore.
0: Heck yeah. Appreciate it. My local
1: bookstore pre-orders. Oh, you're such a virtuous
0: citizen. Thank you again so, so much for coming on the show. Have a fabulous rest of the day. I hope you You get some great leftovers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dear to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327 and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening.